the special forces of the navy of the indian navy it's called the marcos whose job was to dive deep and investigate dwarka this was identified by balagangadhar tilak 100 years ago he's been talking about it dwarka's shape or the harbor and everything seems to be similar to what is found here 22000 to 18000 years ago earth went through an ice age and this ice age is called last glacial maximum and this resulted in so much of water locked up in ice that the shorelines are visible far beyond where they are today draw out a picture of the ice age for people who have not seen the animated movie early ice ages were even more severe even beyond the himalayas maybe up to new delhi and others maybe we had ice ages over here in 2050 we could have water levels chennai could be submerged kolkata and uh, bangladesh many places could be submerged mumbai also could suffer a lot of submergence events would you like to bring in astrology there is no such thing as astrology we only had jyotisha indians could mark the passage of time merely by looking at where is the moon against which backdrop of star is that this is fantastic i don't know why i'm getting goosebumps but i'm getting goosebumps and i remember my mum reading out the story to me from the comic book and then i asked her are these people are these aliens and she didn't really have an answer hmm. and i remember my question mark just stopping there cut to 2023 and i've got my answer that these are celestial events encapsulated in stories the stories traveled from 7000 bc, BC yes 9000 years to present 2001 when yes. i read uh, that amar chitragatha comic book and this is one story how many other stories are relaying how much of our past absolutely these stories are woven intentionally to encode knowledge there's a lot to be decoded in the vedas precisely and so many episodes on indian history on indian culture on what people call mythology which is an offensive word for so many indians This particular podcast contains all of these topics and much more because it's centered around astronomy as well the science of our solar system how our solar system is linked to indian culture how our ancients discovered secrets about astronomy if you're someone who enjoys all these cultural conversations you're going to enjoy this one but trust me i feel every indian should watch this podcast because this is the true deep history of our land the ancient history of our land before 10000 BC lots of different topics have been addressed in this one had a lot of fun recording this i'm sure you're going to have a lot of fun listening to this special conversation with raj vedam How are you, Raj Vedam, sir? I'm very fine, thank you, Ranbir. It's a real pleasure to be here. It's a privilege too to be on your show. So uh, thank you for inviting me. Appreciate your presence here, sir. Um, you do a bunch of things. Mm. That's what I find the most fascinating about you. Uh, began as an engineer, you did your doctorate. Mm -hmm. Now you've kind of dedicated your life to unearthing the hidden history of India. Uh there's a lot of people who would have heard this first sentence itself and switched off because according to a lot of people you need to be a historian to be able to talk about this mm -hmm. after doing more than like 550 episodes mm -hmm. I've realized that knowledge is gained when there's curiosity for the knowledge to be gained and as long as you're following the techniques that historians follow right, right, um right. you're doing a just job mm -hmm. but of course there will be people who will switch off anyway so this mm -hmm. podcast is for everyone else mm -hmm. who's willing to be open who's willing to learn outstanding outstanding see there's a tendency to be for people to be gatekeeping gatekeeping in the sense that how are you credential to do this kind of thing often i tell them i'm an engineer i'm interested in knowing what were the contributions of my ancestors 
to science and technology. Who else is better qualified than an engineer to uh, investigate this? I don't expect a sociologist or a historian to understand development, growth in math and things like that. Yeah. So this is what I do. I study, research this. I'd almost go as far as saying sometimes mm. the standard traditional degrees almost box your mind a little bit. Right. Sometimes, not right. always. Right. If uh, you have a tendency to be boxed in with the constraints we yeah. have and... Uh, very difficult for us to break those boxes and go outside. So sometimes an outsider perspective is quite interesting. Let's talk about astronomy and okay, uh, all right, you right, know the sciences right, a little more. Right, right. Uh, what would you like to say about it? Okay. Would you like to bring so, in astrology as well? There is no such thing as astrology. We only had Jyotisha. We only had Jyotisha, which is intricate observation of the skies with mathematics, understanding movement of the heavenly bodies and other such things. Indians were intellectually so curious, they have tried just about everything. So even in astronomy, they have tried to see how can I understand movements of the heavenly skies and peg it to life on Earth. As the cosmos, so in the microcosm also, right? They have tried ideas of this nature. People have tried to see cycles in nature cycles in life you know we go through our night and day cycles and things of that where nature where is all this where is all this what do you mean like where have they written these things about uh, whatever's up there is also down here it's th th this has been the recurrent theme throughout uh, indian uh, um, uh, writings and history if, if you will so throughout it has been that they look to the skies for inspiration and so also below over here, as in the sky, in the cosmos, so over here. This is a recurrent theme. Wherever you see, this, this is the kind of theme that happens. And uh, so so, so if, if you want to talk about Indian astronomy itself, we have to go to pretty ancient times. Initially, Indians observed the heavenly bodies, all the movement of the heavenly bodies and so on. And they tried to make sense of it. They tried to remember it. And they evolved that into stories. They made a bunch of stories about it. So encoding of wisdom into stories. One such story, early story, was Chandra married the 27 daughters of King Daksha. So that is the story that they made and promptly sent a whole lot of people tittering to laughter, saying, what nonsense, Chandra is anthropomorphic. The moon, there's no such thing. He's, a, he's not a man. And how can he marry 27 women? But the point is, it concealed uh, wisdom which people intended to convey. Every day our ancestors observed the moon would rise in the eastern horizon at a slightly different time. And if it is evening time, you can make out what is a star in the background, right? So if today it rises at 8 p.m., tomorrow it might rise at 8.40, right? Some sometime offset is over there. And therefore, it is against a different backdrop of stars every day. And they notice it takes 27 days approximately for the moon to come back to the same backdrop of stars. So they divided the entire ecliptic into 27 segments. And it's not enough to just divide it, right? You should also recognize it. So they tried to see what is the principal brightest star in each of these 27 segments. And they gave it a name. And mnemonic was the wives of the moon. By knowing the stories of the nakshatras, I might be able to tell you what will follow what, what will follow what. In other words, you have an intricate map of the skies through stories. The stories tell you what's going to come next and so on. So Indians could mark the passage of time merely by looking at where is the moon against which backdrop of star is that. Each of these segments is called a nakshatra. So it is presumed that moon would visit one wife each day, a lunar mansion if you will. Like for example, at 10 o'clock today, if the moon is somewhere over there in the sky, 
tomorrow at 10 o'clock you go and see where the moon is it'll have fallen behind by 13 and 1/3 degrees mm. so this is the understanding in a 24 hour period it covers a 13 and 1/3 degrees so this is what our ancestors did they initially observed these cycles encoded them into stories so this is one such story the story says that chandra loved rohini more than the others one of the wives and his father in law daksha got furious with him how can you treat my daughters unequally and so on he curses him you're going to die chandra doesn't want to die he runs out to mahadeva please mahadeva i don't want to die mahadeva says i can't remove the curse but i'll alleviate it as you die eventually you'll grow in strength once again and once again you'll fade away and die so this part of the story is remembering the phases of the moon so the moon goes from amavasya to purnami back to amavasya it takes 29.5 days approximately to do that so indians clearly understood that we had a sidereal month which is 27 days a nakshatra based model and a 29.5 day synodic month based on the tithi of the moon and so on and they also understood uttarayana and dakshinayana it means the movement of the moon northwards takes 6 months and the movement of the moon southwards which takes another 6 months in this peregrination the moon goes from 23.3 degrees to the north all the way to minus 23.3 degrees to the south when it goes to the southernmost point we have winter solstice in the northern hemisphere so they understood the duration of the year in addition by looking at this phenomena and to 365.24 days so began intellectual developments in india They do, you, do you know the book's name or wherever all these records are kept these are for example in the puranas the matsya purana talks about chandra marrying the 27 daughters of king daksha God. about the story of mahadeva about uh, fake cursing all of these kind of things uttrayana dakshinayana stories come through uh, for example there are stories that encode even this phenomena uh, uttrayana dakshinayana and so on that in various puranas we find these stories so uh, they try to reconcile the various calendars that i have a solar uh, 20 365.24 days i've got a synodic month 29.5 days i've got a sidereal month 27.3 days so they had to fight figure out some synchrony between these things to make sense out of it initially rigveda said that uh, the year consists of 360 days on my point what about the remaining 5.24 days Well, Professor Abhyankar says that they used to have an Atiratra sacrifice in the ancient days when they don't count the passage of time in those five days. They do the Yajna at that time and it comes back into sync. Then later on in Atharva Veda itself, it says the Rishi called Rohita, he created the Adhikamasa. Adhikamasa is an intercalary month which you insert into the calendar so that you'll have synchrony between uh, the 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 lunar and the solar calendar you'll have synchrony every 2 3 years you'll average out to 365.24 days and the rishi called rohita was the one who mathematically figured out what was the way to do it so we have evidence of these kind of things indians were great observers of the skies trying to impose mathematics on it trying to get this intellectual fulfillment by trying to reconcile the cycles all the yoga models that we have they've all intellectual outgrowths of the synchronizations that we are talking about so all these things were done then we have got in the rigveda itself so much of astronomy various kinds of astronomy and one of them it is talking about uh, the rishi atri rishi atri is supposed to have observed a solar eclipse you'll say big deal right i mean everybody observes solar eclipse why would you mention rishi atri over there 
But the fact is, Balakangadhar Tilak, he translated what was then the Rig Veda, and he said that uh, Atri made use of a device called Thuriya Yantra. A Thuriya Yantra, he translated to approximately a quadrant. A quadrant is like a protractor, right? You measure angles with it. And you might wonder, what on earth? Why would he use that, right? Well, we know that uh, from, at least from Aryabhata's work onwards, if you take the plane of the sun called the ecliptic, it appears the sun is going around the earth, right? So that plane is called the ecliptic. The path of the moon is offset by five degrees. As in? The path, the path of the moon, how the moon goes around the earth is offset by five degrees, the geometry. I'm talking about the geometry now compared to the plane, plane of, of the, the sun. sun. Okay. Because of that, eclipses can only happen when these two planes coincide. Hmm. On one side, a solar eclipse can happen. On the other side, a lunar eclipse can hmm. happen. And Aryabhata has explained this beautifully and is calling this as Rahu and this as Ketu. So this whole business of Rahu and Ketu is explained by Aryabhata using the mathematics, showing when an eclipse can happen. Now, if you want to predict an eclipse, you've got to know the angle between sun and moon. As that angle is coming closer and closer to zero, you can predict an eclipse is going to happen. So it looks like Rishi Atri had this device, which is the Thuriya Yantra, like a, a quadrant kind of device, which obviously measures angles in the sky. He's used that to predict when an eclipse would happen. This is fantastic. It's fantastic because today there are some who are saying uh, Rishi Atri's eclipse is dated to 4750 BCE. Some others say if that is not the one, there's one more in 4202 BCE. These are the kind of time frames that Atri should be uh, uh, dated to on this eclipse information. This means in that time frame, this Rishi has already understood there's an angular relationship between the sun and the moon based on which I can predict when an eclipse will happen. So you have understood the phenomena, you know how to measure it, and you know how to predict it. That is how he's remembered in the Rig Veda, that Rishi Atri was able to predict the solar. I find this mind-blowing that at a, such an early period of time, Indians had understood the phenomena, the mathematics, predictive capability, and things of this nature. So this is not only one, uh, Ranveer. There's so many instances in the Indian astronomy that typically blows my mind. I'll give you one example. There is something called Aitriya Brahmana. It's associated with the Rig Veda. And in Aitriya Brahmana, in the second chapter, there is a cryptic passage. That passage says, the sacrifice, Yagna, had gone away from the Devatas. They did not know where it had gone to. So they went to Aditi, the mother of gods, and she said, can you help us? Can you help us find it? She said, sure, I'll help you, but I will choose a boon from you. They said, sure, go ahead. A boon? A boon. A boon. A, a, boon. a boon, yes. They said, sure, go ahead and ask for it. She said, all sacrifices will begin and end with me. Very cryptic set of passages which nobody understood. What on earth does it mean? What does it mean? Yajna has gone away. The Devtas were unable to perform any sacrifice. They were in total confusion. They gone to Aditi and begged her. Aditi saying, sure, I'll help you, but the sacrifices will begin and end with me. Tilak was the one who uh, recognized this. He said, 
this is an astronomical phenomena encoded here showing the great uh, uh, anxiety of our ancestors because they pegged everything to the celestial calendar they marked all festivals yagnas everything based on the celestial clock over there right if that celestial clock is out of whack then i don't know what to do we will discuss why it will go out of whack but if it does and it will then you don't know when to perform your ceremony over a period of 1000 years or so your calendars are going to slip because of something called axial precession you mean the earth's axis shifts the where the earth earth's axis of rotation right now we are in uh, mumbai so it's around um, um, 15 degrees around 15 degrees from the horizon so it looks like earth is rotating like this in mumbai right around 15 degrees so the where it is pointing to is polaris that star appears to be immobile in the sky earth is rotating from west to east therefore heavenly bodies are going east to west that's what is happening but where it is pointing to is slowly tracing a path in the sky and this takes 26000 years to complete okay 26000 years to complete you mean the earth's axis of rotation the earth is wobbling it's wobbling okay it's like the analogy i give is like a top if you play to the top as a child you tie the string around the top and you twirl it the top spins very very fast mm. but as it is spinning sometimes it's got a wobble right mm. so earth's fast spin is 24 hours the slow wobble is 26000 years and it is doing this because of the gravitational impact of the sun moon and to a lesser extent jupiter that is why earth is wow. uh, wobbling like this at 26000 years or so why is it important for us because we used sidereal astronomy sidereal meaning with respect to as nakshatra that is at a certain point what is point. the word nakshatra nakshatra remember i said that indians divided the sky ecliptic into 27 segments mm. and they identified a principal brightest star in each segment they called each of that a nakshatra so we can identify that with the stars today for example kritika is pleiades and rohini is aldebaran and revati zeta piscium like this we know we know what these stars are based upon what indians did in the past so 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 we had a perfect mapping of the skies based on these kind of things these are called nakshatras so i said that earth is processing 26000 years and i said why is it important for us because we observed a phenomena based on what is a nakshatra at a cardinal point of astronomy what are the cardinal points of astronomy you've got the two solstices winter solstice summer solstice what does the word cardinal point mean these are the cardinal means principal point principal point when the when the sun goes to the southernmost point that is a principal point it goes to the northernmost point that's a principal point gotcha in between it is going crossing the line the celestial equator and that is uh, the equinox position so these four points that point this point crossing the equinox here when you returning crossing these are the four cardinal points so indians always observed what was the nakshatra at a cardinal point for example vernal equinox has always been new year in india vernal equinox new year point so they'll tell you what was the nakshatra at vernal equinox point for example a whole lot of our literature says kritika nakshatra was at the vernal equinox point that is no longer true today today is not kritika anymore so kritika was the vernal equinox in 2400 bce we know that today because of a planetarium software and things like that we can date these things so anyway what 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 i'm saying is that this whole uh, phenomena is because of precession 
that the calendar shifts. When the calendars shifted, the gods were unable to perform any yajna or any such thing. They've gone to Aditi and said, help us. Aditi said, all sacrifices will begin and end with me. Meaning, vernal equinox will begin and end with me. This is what Aditi was saying. So, we are now got to see when was the equinox, vernal equinox, at Aditi. And what is Aditi in our nakshatra model? In our nakshatra model, we have a nakshatra called Punarvashu. Punarvashu has got two stars in it, Diti and Aditi. In the Greek tradition, we call it Castor and Pollux, right? Wow. Castor and Pollux are Diti and Aditi, and collectively we call them Punarvashu nakshatra. If I want to find out when was Punarvashu nakshatra at the vernal equinox point, hold your breath, I need to crank back in the astronomy software, planetarium software, to a staggering 6000 BCE. That is 8000 years ago was when our ancestors were thoroughly messed up in the skies, not knowing where, when do I do my calendar, implying that they had a calendar 1000 years prior to that that was working because precision works in a few thousand years is when it gets messed up. So it's got messed up to a point where they've reset it to Punarvashu or Aditi. That is what it is telling us. What is the 26,000 year uh, timeline? Then? So this 26,000 years, like I said, this is the amount of time it takes for the axis of rotation of the earth to trace this path in the sky and come back. Today we are pointing at a star called Polaris. At the other extreme is a star called Abhijit or Vega. Vega is a Greek name. Abhijit is the Indian name. It will reach Abhijit in about 15,000 years from now, 14,000 years from now. Then again, come back. So that's the extent to which uh, axis of rotation takes place. Mm -hmm. And because of that, the nakshatras which our ancestors observed, they keep changing over time. This is why I'm saying Indian astronomy is beautiful because we have got so many astronomical phenomena in our texts, which clearly are not relevant today. And we can use planetarium software and we can try to find out precisely when was something. So... Here you are, a date like 8,000 years ago, Indians already had a notion of a calendar, already had notions of uh, doing these kind of measurements. I find that utterly fascinating. Let me give you one more amazing thing. Sure. Ranbir. This is now the familiar story we all know, right? Uh, Surya. Surya, our stories say, there are Purana stories, Rig Vedic stories that talk about this and say that Surya married Sanjana. And they had Yama, Yami and uh, marital bliss. One fine day, uh, Surya got so brilliant, so bright, Sanjana could not take the heat. So she abandons her husband and she goes off to the cooler region. That's very important, cooler region. And uh, before she leaves, she leaves a shadow chaya in her place. One fine day, Surya discovers a deception. Hey, you're not my wife. Where's my wife? And she says she's gone off to the cooler region. So off Surya also goes to the cooler region to search for her. He finds she's taken the form of a mare, a horse, and he too takes the form of a horse. And in that union, the Ashwini Kumaras are born. They're the traditional physicians, healer physicians in India, associated with horse and other such things. They are born. So simple enough story over here. And well, it's like, what, what on earth? Uh, all these kind of uh, people say it's a ridiculous story and all these kind of things. But for us, there are several things to take away from here. Because there is a passage in Rig Veda that says Ushas. Ushas is the goddess of dawn. Okay, She appears at dawn. Goddess of dawn is Ushas. Ushas awakened the Ashwinis for their share of the Vedic sacrifice. 
such a passage is there in the Rigveda, which you don't awaken a grown-up man, you're awakening babies. Right? So, and the point is that at dawn, Ashwinis are appearing over there, which means along with the sun, Ashwins must appear. Additionally, we know because Surya went to the cooler region, it should be winter solstice in the northern hemisphere because it's gone to the southernmost point, which means we are looking for a phenomena when Ashwins are appearing at dawn and it is winter solstice. If you crank this back in time, it turns out to be 7200 BCE. Staggering amount of time, right? That is when you find that Ashwins appear with the sun at winter solstice point and they're rising. What was Ashwins astronomy-wise? Astronomy-wise, there is a Beta Delphini, that's a Western name. So we can identify the stars. I might be mistaken. It, it's it's two stars, basically. It is two stars, twin wow. stars, twin stars. And they're tiny stars, not very Damn. bright. So I don't know why I'm getting goosebumps, <laughs> but I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> but the punchline is not here. The punchline is not in the antiquity of 7200 BC. This was identified by, again, Balagangadhar Tilak. He identified it. 100 years ago, he's been talking about it. And uh, Abhayankar also talked about it about 20, 30 years ago. And Why is no one talking about it in 2023? I'll tell you, I've been talking about this for the last 10 years or so in my talks. I've been talking about Ashwin. You'll be shocked, Ranveer. Two years back, two papers came out in the journal called Nature. In science, uh, nature, right? Two, two papers came out in 2022 or 2021. I think 2022. That blew my mind again. The reason is because I got an independent corroboration of what I'm telling you through scientific papers. These papers, two of them, one of them said there was a solar flare that happened about 9,000 years ago, precisely 7176 BCE. Mm. I had dated to 7200 BC. Their date was 7176 BC. There was a massive solar flare that hit the earth. Oof. And this solar flare was so big that uh, the graphs in the paper showed completely out of whack. Let, let me give you a backstory over here. The, normally, we always, you know, the, the, the sun has got 11-year sunspot cycle, right? When sunspots go to a maximum, you find a lot of them. I mean, you can take a telescope with a, a solar filter and you can see it. Easily you can see it. And I have seen that right now we're going to a maximum again. And two years back, almost smooth. You don't see any solar sunspots. Whenever we have sunspots, there's a propensity for the sun to uh, uh, have a, a coronal mass ejection, CME event. That is when charged particles are thrown out of the sun, right? And if we are unlucky, it comes through to, towards the earth. Normally, we are okay because we got the magnetic lines of force, and these are all charged particles. So they conducted away to the North Pole, South Pole by our magnetic lines. And typically what happens is they interact in the upper atmosphere, and there's all kind of isotopic activity that takes place, radioactivity that at takes place the northern at the North Pole and South Pole. Wow. That is why we get aurora borealis. All the northern lights, southern lights are because of that activity. Gotcha. And typically those radioactive particles rain down on the Earth in these polar regions and they're preserved in the ice. They're preserved in the ice. Normally, it is not a point for contention. Typically, satellites are concerned with there'll be damage, radio communication damage, no biggie. The biggest solar flare we have in recorded history goes back approximately, I think, 1856 or so. It's called the Carrington event. If you Google for Carrington event, you'll find that. This was such a big solar flare, 
at that time that earth was so ionized not only in the polar region normally you see aurora borealis about a few latitudes to the north from the north pole this northern light was seen up to hawaii up to china that's how far these lights had come to that powerful storm Damn. not only that there were operators in the united states in portland those were telegraph lines that did da da did did morse code so they were uh, operating the tele- telegraph lines from portland to boston without turning on the power because the lines had become so ionized telegraph lines have be so ionized the current flowing they're happily doing that morse code this happened <laughs> for two days over a period of two days the wow. earth was so ionized and this is the biggest event we know and people are saying in australia people used to read newspapers at night without lights that's amount of light that you had with this event now with this as a back story let us go back to this earlier event scientists are estimating this 7176 bc to be an order of magnitude bigger than carrington event logarithmically 10 times larger and this they have found by drilling the ice cores ice cores in antarctica ice cores in greenland they is like a, a, a time capsule right these ice cores you can take it to the lab slice uh, slice slice it uh, little by little and you can study the isotopes like beryllium mm. and half life of these things from the half life you can now estimate how far back in time these guys have drawn graphs in this nature paper off the charts suddenly in 7176 bc all these numbers are off the charts when i saw that i said my god this is exactly what i've been talking indians remember surya became brilliant for a period of time probably the solar uh, proton event was so great that it ionized the earth so much anywhere you see you might have seen brilliance it's like a haze that you see in uh, in places right if you can imagine a bright haze anywhere you look it might have been like that like because the sun was brighter basically. sun was brighter brighter hotter and that happened probably for a period of time maybe a few weeks uh, and at a time i got to dial you back to the story uh-huh. who was the sun's wife sanjana 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 was the goddess of or was it just i don't remember she's a goddess but the story says that sanjana was surya's wife and because the sun was so brilliant she leaves him and goes away to the cooler region and he follows her over there i'm sorry my curiosity is making me want to google who what sanjana was the goddess of sanjana's because there there's got to be some metaphor in there as well precisely and sanjana's father is vishwakarma goddess of clouds and twilight there you go so she clouds and twilight went away from the sun the twilight left the sun right which, which means a, brilliant all the time brilliant no okay. no protection no shade no protection okay. so i'll i'll give you another uh, like hinduism angle to the story mm-hmm. you know the chaya she left behind yes. the shadow she yeah, left right. behind right the sun had a baby with that shadow mm. and that baby is called shani right 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 uh, yes yes which is saturn 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 yes makes yes. me think that what was the shadow then or right. like why what like you know what was the relevance relevance yeah what's the relevance the of the shadow we'll we'll come back to that okay. but let me finish this episode go on so after this when i saw this mind blowing story that is a perfect collaboration here i gave you 7200 by reading the astronomy by looking at the astronomy we call the date to be precisely around 7200 bc plus and minus 80 years this side and that side that's when ashwins are with heliacal rising with the sun at winter solstice that is what the story has said that is what the rigveda story has said we merely followed the formula and we have got this date 
And this date has been known to Tilak for 100, 100 years ago. And for the last 10 years, I've been uh, popularizing this in my talks and so on. Two years ago, this paper comes out. And I say, whoa, this is a complete collaboration of what I've been talking about. And another paper too came out. The second paper said, looking at the tree rings, they're apparently able to get the tree ring records and they're saying there was a massive proton event exactly the same time, 7176 BCE. So here you are, 9,000 years ago, whoever was living in India, our ancestors, have gone through a massive proton event and remembered that in a story. Yeah, okay. I got to pause you a little bit here and uh -huh. give some millennial perspective. Okay. You are reading a lot of Amar Chitrakatha. Uh -huh. And I remember reading mm -hmm. about this exact story about Usha and uh, Sanjana. All this, all this mm -hmm. stuff. Um, I remember it was a family and even Yamraj is a part of that family. Yes, I don't yes Yama Yami are part of the earlier family. Yes. So yeah, he's got, I think with, with Sanjana he has kids. Yes. And then with the, yes, yes, yes. Yama Yami with Sanjana. Right. Yes. Yama is the god of death. Yes, yes. And the story is amazing for one more reason. Yama limps and Yami shivers. It could be a remembrance that when this uh, radioactivity happened, it's a, these are all cancer-causing. Mm. Beryllium is massively cancer-causing. Maybe it impacted the youth. Maybe youth were bedridden and so on. And the story remembers Yama is limping, not able to walk properly. He's a god of death in addition. Yeah. And uh, Yami is shivering and that kind of a thing. I'm, 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 I'm just saying it's, it's possible. It's yeah. possible. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I'll tell you my perspective. I remember reading that story, being very fascinated by all these Amar Chitakatha stories. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm separating Mahabharata and Ramayana from this mm -hmm. because I, in my heart, believe that those events have also happened. Mm -hmm. And those are actual human stories. Right. Things have happened in our past. Right. But when it comes to these stories, when we're talking about the sun mm -hmm. being married to the goddess of twilight, mm -hmm. this was also written in Amar Chitakatha. Right. And I remember my mom reading out the story to me from the comic book. Mm. And then I asked her, are these people, are these aliens, mm. are these like some other higher beings? Mm. And she didn't really have an answer. Mm. And I remember my question mark just stopping there. Mm. Mm. Cut to 2023 mm. and I've got my answer. <laughs> yes. That these are celestial events. Yes. Our Encapsulated in stories. Yes. yes. The stories traveled from 7000 BC. BC yes, 9000 years to present 2001 times. when yes. I read uh, that Amar Chitakatha right. comic book. Right. And this is one story. Right. How many other stories are relaying how much of our past? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what I go around saying all the time. That our stories have got so much metaphoric content. If we have the key to unlock that wisdom... We know what that wisdom is. How far are we in unlocking these stories, according to you, like in terms of percentage? Very poor. Because we have a tendency today to have a pedestrian understanding only. We have dismissed this as myth, right? A very negative word, myth. Because we fail to see the metaphoric, the philosophical wisdoms in these stories. Our first tendency is to say they are primitive people. We are the most advanced of times and these are primitive people. They don't realize that 9,000 years ago, their ancestors had the same cranial capacity. Hey, today you use an iPhone, but that is no mark of civilization or progress as such. You're a blind user of an iPhone. You don't know how it works, what's behind it, most people at least. They don't know what, what, what is behind it. So how does that make you technologically more advanced than that man over there? He didn't have an iPhone, but he wasn't perfectly in control of his nature and uh, abstract thought and everything else. So we should not attribute an early man as being primitive to a point where he was making stories like this. These stories are woven intentionally 
intentionally they were done to encode knowledge if I, if i were to tell you for example ranveer here's the theorem a theorem b uh, learn this theorem learn that theorem the minute the class is over you're going to forget all about it i mean so dry and you can't take it but the minute i have an infotainment over there i add a bit of entertainment see our rishis understood our minds crave for entertainment even today one minute you're on twitter one minute you're on instagram one minute you're on facebook one minute you're there because you want to be entertained all the time a short years at this one there that one there and so on rishis understood that and so they put entertainment over here along with the story metaphor over there so these stories like you correctly said they have passed on to us for 9000 years and they're still alive and they still speak to us all our human needs is food shelter clothing and stories and stories entertainment you're a happy man if you have that <laughs> um really makes me think about all the other celestial events mm. events from ancient history mm. events from prehistory mm. that are actually tailored into indian culture mm. and even now you are right in saying a big section of the indian population looks down upon this right. in urban india right. not right. so much in the That's indira's of pedestrian understanding pedestrian understanding of these events so they dismiss it as myth it's a reflection of their ignorance rather yeah. than uh, attempt to creatively intellectually decode what their ancestors yeah. meant um you know i'll tell you what questions are arising in my head mm. i do kind of again want to talk about the younger drives impact theory that we spoke uh, about uh, and then bring you to vishnu puran mm. about vishnu's first avatar mm. which was the matsya avatar mm. and mm. you know the other events right. in that vishnu puran timeline right. when you actually study the 10 avatars right. etc part me now definitely believes that even if those stories didn't take place on earth mm. it's a metaphor used to describe celestial events true makes me wonder what that whole churning of the ocean story is right 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 so yes i am i wondered about this churning of the ocean too but you talk to the dry seven the younger dry seven so let let's go to that sure so we got the last glacial maximum approximately 22000 to 18000 years ago you, so you'll have to explain what a glacial maximum is okay 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 so earth has gone through ice ages yeah we know that there have been periods of ice ages periods of drought and you might wonder why is it happening mm. well milanković was a serbian scientist in 1920s who linked this up with the uh, uh, movements of earth in other words we know earth is rotating no mm. biggie we know that mm. earth is going around the sun no biggie we know that also in addition to that earth is doing three more things one is its orbit around the sun is going from elliptical to slightly circular circular to elliptical circular oh. to elliptical and this is happening in a psych period periodicity of about 100000 years what that effectively means for non mathematics grads is that earth is going close and far from the sun you can think of it's it like yes wobbling. yes yes but but not uh, significantly but they say just that yes yes but the thing is even that is enough that is enough just the, a little bit yes, it will yes. alter temperatures heavily exactly 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 the second one it is doing is that axial precession we talked about where the axis of rotation takes 26000 years to complete that is the second one the third one is earth's tilt it goes from 21 degrees to 24 uh, degrees and this happens at 41000 years so we got three additional cycles now what is earth's tilt that that the tilt we are tilted now at 23 degrees right our axis appears to be tilted as we are going around the sun it looks like 
see this tilt in my arm oh okay taking the north pole and the south pole yes. as a reference so yes ah, yes it appears that we are ah, tilted okay, okay. just like uranus appears to be on its floor uh, things like that so it appears to be going and is tilted so on. so we, you 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 have uh, earth's tilt going from 21 degrees to 24 degrees and this happens at 41000 years so three cycles i talked about 100000 years circular to elliptical second one is the axial precession 41 uh, 26000 years third one the tilt this is around uh, 41000 years milankovitch did not discover these these things were seen by others his contribution is the addition of these three cycles results in the amount of radiant energy the su- earth gets from the sun okay as in you put these figures into some mathematical formula you'll figure out how much of radiant energy is coming radiant energy means intense intensity of light <coughs> yes the sunlight how much sunlight we are getting the each the northern horizon the northern hemisphere southern hemisphere how much we are getting and sunlight might be measured through the total quantity of photons the flux the amount of flux we are getting solar flux we are getting there are other ways to do it but bottom line he said the ice ages and the drought periods of earth are related to these three cycles one of the most successful scientific theories to the present day because you grow and drill in the ice core in, in greenland or antarctica it fits this uh, prediction so beautifully so we know that's true so we know through this these cycles that uh, 22000 to 18000 years ago earth went through an ice age and this ice age is called the last glacial maximum and this resulted in so much of water locked up in ice that the shorelines are visible far beyond where they are today i'm going to ask you a very yeah. rookie question here mm-hmm. um have you seen the animated movie ice age mm-hmm. you've seen it right love the squirrel Yeah so you know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking. Uh that's the reference point for two generations when it yeah. comes to the ice. Oh I would go as far as saying four five generations. Okay. Know about the ice age from those animated films. Right. Draw out a picture of the ice age for mm. people who've not seen the animated movie. Mm. Uh in terms of what was the earth like then? Yes. I would also go as far as saying what was the equatorial region around the earth like? Then? Right, 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 right. So so there's there is a diversity of opinions among geologists. There is an unpopular opinion that earth was an ice ball. The whole earth was a slushy ice ball. That that's a very unpopular opinion, but there are some people who predict that. But then some people estimate using the climate models that the 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 ice the glacier, the glaciers had come to a fairly large extent in india himalayas maybe even beyond the himalayas maybe up to new delhi and others maybe we had ice ages over here what is a glacier 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 is the uh, ice pack that we have that seems to grow over time if 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 you have more of cooler periods it eventually keeps growing over time for example gangotri we have a glacier okay. over there uh, correct my science here hmm. okay my assumption is that when you totally lower the temperature of the earth which is what is happening in an ice age mm. gradually mm. what ends up happening is a lot of the water vapor starts collecting and forming right. ice right that is how right. glacier right eventually increases. begins yes yes so effectively earth was also a lot taller right yeah i guess i could say that ice pack was growing as in there was a layer of ice yes. that grew around right. the earth right right okay. right uh, right my assumption has always been that mm. in a place as hot as say tamil nadu hmm. okay i've been to tamil nadu and you hmm. need to experience the heat in tamil nadu yeah, in right. the summer to right. really understand how hot india can get uh yes even that part had like i said unpopular opinion some people say even in the equatorial region we had ice 
That's a minority. There's a book there called Snowball Earth, where the geologist is discussing why he thinks that was the case. But then this, we are talking about the last glacial maximum that is not as severe as earlier ice ages. Earlier ice ages were even more severe. So this was not that severe, this, this particular ice age we're talking about. And what is the frequency of them? Like, like I said, the three cycles, right? The, 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 the eccentricity cycle, precision cycle, tilt cycle. By adding the impact of those three things, people can predict when they will come. But so are, there is, are they at equal? No, no. It's no. random it's a little a, bit. Because of the cycle, it's, a, it's when the periodicities resonate, right? The resonance has got to build up. Because sometimes it could be out of phase. If you're out of phase, then the impact is not much. But when all three add up with resonance, resonances between them, that's when you'll have an impact. Either cold impact or a heat impact. One okay. of the two things. So over millions of years, right. you're able to predict right. that this phase will be an right. ice age in this right. phase. Right, precisely. And there are also warming periods and cooling precisely. periods. Precisely. All are, uh, can be predicted with these kind of cycles. And we're currently in a warming period. That's what we have found. Yes, we are in a family hockey stick kind of rise. Yes, we are in a warming period right now. And we're making it way worse because of using fossil fuels. Human activities. There's an un there, are, there are people who are politically torn by this whole thing. Some people saying it's a natural consequence of Earth cycles, whereas others are saying it has accelerated since the Industrial Revolution because of human activity. So we are in the Holocene extinction event right yeah. now. This is almost a controversial conversation, you know. Like, I know how controversial this conversation can get. Uh, I'm all for the environment. I strongly believe that our actions are causing a lot of harm to the environment. It's visible to the human eye. Right. If you go out in my balcony hmm. now hmm. versus even two years ago, hmm. there's hmm. so much more haze. There's so much more smog. Hmm. Of course, we are damaging the environment. Right. Like as Joe Root said, who is the former England cricket team mm, captain, mm, mm. he said that when I was playing in Mumbai, it felt like I was eating the air. So there's no way that our actions are not adding to global warming, Very according true. to me. Very true. There's a paper that came out from scientists, 15,000 scientists in 2017 or 18. They gave a two-page paper with only graphs. In each graph, the depletion of the forest cover and the dead zones in the sea, where there's no life in the sea, and the uh, forest cover, ozone pack, like this, they had about 15 to 20 indicators. Every one of them is down. Every one of them showing indicators going down. And they had promoted that it's urgent we should go to a plant-based diet. The sooner we do that, the better for the environment. And obviously, reducing fertility also. That was a recommendation. Also, when you pinch and poke and punch mother nature this much, mm. it's going to pinch and poke and punch you back at some point. The gear model. Earth is alive and she will respond in a way to do that. And you yeah. feel it? Right, right. Like the right. older I get, the more I feel that the Earth yes. is alive. Yes, uh, yes. And this is when even concepts like ancient viruses coming back, you all see, that. You see, in the Vedanta concept, everything has got consciousness. Everything is part of Brahman. If everything is part of Brahman, there is some amount of consciousness here, here, and maybe a growing amount of consciousness as you go to humans and so on, self-awareness and uh, consciousness. So this is part of who we think we are. There is consciousness everywhere, including the earth. And yes, there will be a reaction eventually. But we are digressing from the last glacial maximum. Let's talk about the ice age, good sir. <laughs> last I, glacial maximum. I, I just think, you know, these warming periods, cooling periods, narratives are important to understand the ice age better. Precisely. Yes, yes, yes. Indeed, indeed. So 24,000, 22,000 to 18,000 years ago, we had this maximum of this last glacial max, meaning most of the water was locked up in ice. And it's estimated that 
the sea levels were 125 meters lower than where they are today that's approximately 400 feet can you imagine 125 meters lower that's where the water level was that means continents were larger right right and now is a fascinating thing there's a professor called ramaswami sm ramaswami in bharati dasan university in trichinopoly he published a paper two or three years back saying that he had used remotely operated vehicles and sonar in the bay of bengal not just anywhere but he was wanting to find out what is below on the bay of bengal 15 kilometers outside the present shoreline 125 meters below he has found man made structures there mm. uh, did they date it yes well 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 he's taken many radio samples but i am telling you from last glacial maximum when could it have been possible that humans were living 125 meters below the sea right this is only possible during the last glacial maximum when all over the world sea level was lower by 125 meters and he's reporting he's taking pictures you can see his paper where there is looks to be a man made harbor that is fascinating why would people need harbor 18000 years ago who were they trading with what were they trading with what kind of ships were they no iron what were they how were they building these things explain this point further mm. the reverse of this is mm. dwarka getting engulfed by the i will sea. come to that i will come to that oh. i will come to that so uh, uh, professor ramaswami he's uh, saying he's got a lot of artifacts taken carbon dating i think the results are not published yet but he thinks that these are going back around 18000 years he's saying the shape of the harbor seems to be a technology that has moved northwards he's saying dwarka's shape of the harbor and everything seems to be similar to what is found here I didn't understand. So, this. so he's saying the harbor shape and other such things seem to be similar here and in Dwaraka. But oh. Dwaraka now is later dated by more than thousand, ten thousand years later, right? I also so, just want to mention uh, about Dwaraka to mm. our listeners. We had someone from uh, the special forces of the Navy mm. of the Indian mm. Navy. Mm. It's called mm. the Marcos, right? Whose job was to dive deep wow. and investigate mm. Dwaraka. Mm. Mm. So mm. this has been found by. the marcos of the indian Wonderful. military mm-hmm. uh anyway now go on sir my my understanding of um, well let let me finish uh, bharati dasan's uh, university work so they have found man made harbors over there clearly showing to us that human activity was there in the coastal regions in india in a very ancient period of time and we have evidence of uh, coastal civilizations not only in, this is the pumpuhar not today's pumpuhar but 18000 years ago that could have been pumpuhar and on dwaraka again we we know from mahabharata that uh, after arjuna got the uh, yadava women out turns around and dwaraka sunk under the sea we know that in 2003 there was national institute of oceanography from chennai they sent a ship with sonar equipment and things like that to gulf of cambay because they wanted to lay an internet a submarine line so they're mapping the ocean floor in the process of mapping in that paper they have reported that they found a 9 kilometer wall, uh, long uh, structure that seems to be like a sea wall it's it they said it is, looks man made a lot of controversy on that saying it's natural or not but it looks like a sea wall running for 9 kilometers they dredged up a piece of wood carbon dated in germany hanover as well as in hyderabad and they came with a date of around 9000 years before present for that piece of wood 
promptly the people saying big deal, so what, and those kind of things. But uh, uh, there are associations with perhaps Dwaraka. And I don't fully buy it because my belief is Dwaraka is around 150 kilometers out uh, from, from where they were looking. If, if it look at Bet Dwaraka, where it is and where uh, 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 today's Dwaraka is, my belief is that it's, it's off over there. There's some reasons why I think so, and I, I've forgotten entirely how to argue that, but I wrote it down at some point. So it's out in the sea. Anyway, we are finding artifacts. We are finding artifacts in coastal civilizations. Here's a fascinating part, uh, Ranbir. We have stories that talk about, uh, uh, in, in, in Tamil Nadu, in, in, in Tamil people have got memories of a Sangam period. A Sangam period that lasted about 10,000 years ago. They think there were three yeah. sang Sangam periods are literary periods. They believe there are three Sangam periods. The earliest one was almost 10,000 years ago. It happened in a place they called Thain Madurai. Thain Madurai means Southern Madurai. Okay, some, some place over there. Second period was another 3,000 years, a literary period. Then they believe that the entire thing was submerged. And this is written in... It is the cultural memory of the Tamil people. So many people have memory of this going into the past and talking about this. And this entire Thain Madurai was submerged. And the third literary period took place in the present Madurai, which is northern Madurai, literally. So Tamil people pres preserve a memory of lands that have been lost. Oof. The Tamil nationalists promptly said Kumari Kandam that is stretching from Madagascar to Australia to uh, India. I don't think that is true because... You'll have to give context here. Okay, okay. So in uh, uh, um, late 1900s, uh, no, 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 early 1900s, when people did not know about plate tectonics, plate tectonics are the ones that matter for continental shaping and those kinds of things, the Western scientists were interested in knowing why do we have the same fossils in different continents. The limors are popular in uh, Madagascar, but what are the limors doing in India? How is that possible? So they presumed that it was a land bridge through which these things had come about. And the Tamil nationalists promptly said that there must have been uh, land connected from Madagascar to uh, southern India to Australia. And that's remembered in the Sangam period, land submerged. I don't think that is true because I have looked through Google Earth. If you can go to Google Earth and look at the depth of the water, just outside continental shelf of India, the depth falls to three kilometers, two kilometers, five kilometers. There's no way we had land even during the last glacial maximum. Last glacial maximum is our reference because water level was 125 meters below, right? So any land that was 125 meters and above is candidates for the submerged land, that Tamil memory is there. And that does not extend to continent-wide, but it extends about 90 kilometers from the present shoreline. 90 kilometers from the present shoreline, we had land. And so Tamil memory is preserving that. There were coastal civilizations here that is all sunken during the... Uh, Earth warming up, ice ages going up, and, and rather water levels going up. Just like so, how where we are sitting, Mumbai, right. probably going to be underwater in 200 years. Very easily possible, very possible. And I, I think that's a prediction, in fact. You don't have to wait that long. If the predictions are right, it could happen in 2050. In 2050, we could have water levels. Chennai could be submerged. Mm -hmm. Kolkata and uh, Bangladesh, many places could be submerged. Uh, this side, Mumbai also could suffer a lot of submergence events. And Florida in the U.S. that could suffer submergence events.
So people are predicting that. I mean, given that they said the doomsday scenario is if the average temperature of the earth goes up by 1.5 degrees compared to industrial revolution. Guess what? In 2023, we broke the record many times. All over the world, we broke this record of 1.5 average uh, centimeter, centigrade. We broke it many times. If this is a recurring event into the future, I think we're in for some pretty bad weather. Apocalyptic <laughs> floods. Precisely, precisely. It could, could very much happen. I mean, you know, if we truly open eyes, mm. apocalyptic natural events are already happening around us. Right. But we're just oblivious. Right. Or we're just escaping it. We, we don't make the connections. We yeah. live in the moment, but we don't have memory to connect the events and have a dynamical picture. I don't remember so many floods, so many storms, so many earthquakes happening this frequently when I was a child. Right. Maybe earthquakes are separate from that argument, but at least when we're talking about flash floods, right. whatever's happening right. in the Himalayas, mm -hmm. this is nature biting back. We just need to open our eyes and notice. Right, right, right. Um, anyway. So you asked me what is my notion of history. All this was my deep history. Early yeah. on, you asked me what is a deep history. And this, I said it goes back so much of time. Now I'm talking 18,000 years ago, we had people living here and we got cultural memory in the south of lands that have been lost. The lost lands would have been around uh, the, 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 the late glaciers. One more ice age, mini ice age called late glacial maximum. The last glacial is 22 to 18,000 years ago. The late glacial is around 12,000 years. Younger Dryas. That's younger Dryas period. Yes, that's the younger Dryas. Because I believe, uh, I don't know the exact science behind this, but um, basically when that meteor hit Earth around 12,000 years ago, uh, it created a massive dust cloud in the air. Right, right. It's as if you're shooting a bullet into right. a big ball of mm -hmm. sand. Mm -hmm. The dust mm -hmm. cloud stayed, blocked mm -hmm. off sunlight, the lack of sunlight cooled down the earth heavily right, right. for a long time. Right. Uh, and this is what Randall Carlson's research is also based on. Mm. He spoke mm. about studying the effect of the glaciers from this period on the geography of North America, which is very close to where the impact happened, happened right, right. apparently happened in the Gulf of Mexico. Mm. So he's, he's done multiple podcasts of Joe Rogan talking about how they've mm. tracked the movement of the glaciers in North America. Itself. Very interesting. Very interesting. When did we last see something like this? In the Indian context, in the Indian context, now brace yourself, 74,000 years ago. As in? 74,000. Like, what, what did we see? We had a Mount Toba, an event, a super volcano in Sumatra, referred to as Mount Toba. Indonesia. Indonesia. This, this was so big and was aimed towards India, it put so much of particulate matter in the earth that... India and Pakistan were covered by five meters of ash. Can you imagine this? Five meters of ash. Even today, if you go to Jwalapuram, Jwalapuram is in Karnool district in Andhra Pradesh, there's a researcher called Ravi Kori Sitter. He's published some works on this. He has discovered the ash layer from the 75,000 years ago. He's found human artifacts below the ash layer, then the ash layer, human artifacts above the ash layer showing India was populated before this event and after. But... Five meters of ash. Five meters of ash. Like and my engineering hostel room. <laughs> anyway, go on. But the point is that it put so much of particulate matter, it caused an instant six-year nuclear winter. It caused a mini what thousand... Is, what is a nuclear winter? 
Nuclear winter. Yes, so this is the concept that we have in uh, in our apocalyptic view. If you have uh, nuclear explosions and things of that nature, there'll be so much of uh, matter in the, in the air, the dust and other such things floating around the earth and so on, prevents the sunlight, sunlight. from coming in, cooling down. It's a winter happening over there. But this caused a thousand year uh, winter over here. And they estimate that the breeding adults fell to 10,000. What? The number of adults who are alive after that event. All over the earth. All over the in in India. Because all the, see, in this empty DNA studies, they presume that all the non-African people of the world have originated in India through two lineages called M and N markers. And so what I'm telling you now is related to that. After this Mount Toba event happened 74,000 years ago, they estimate less than 10,000 adults were there on earth. On, on, on this region, from whom we have all come. If this theory is right, you and I are alive because one of our ancestors are there yeah. who survived it's, that event. It's not just you and me, but it's also <laughs> Cristiano Ronaldo, everybody, Wayne Rooney. Everybody. Uh, LeBron, not LeBron James, because Why technically not? he's of African okay. Okay, descent. Right, 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 according right, to this right, theory. According to this theory, yes. All the non-African populations have come from these, these people. Okay. So amazing theory, but but we are seeing this. What you said is about this Crandall's theory. About uh, we are seeing this again and again. Krakatoa, Krakatoa was a massive volcano that happened in Sumatra, uh, eighteen hundreds. I'm not mistaken, eighteen eighty or something like that. That also put so much of particulate matter in the skies, and uh, we have had problems. Six hundred current era. One more massive volcano happened, and I'm trying to link that up with. Uh, uh, what happened in India. We had droughts over here. And can we see that regimes have changed? The Chalukyas came at that time. There were other powers that faded away. Powers were there for a thousand years, suddenly fading away and a new power coming over there without a war or any such thing. The only thing is that there must have been so much of unrest and problems with no crops growing because of nuclear kind of winter kind of. Do you think there's anything mentioned about this 75,000 year old... Um Ice Age that we spoke about, uh, the Sumatra explosion. So, so if there is, we have not yet found it. We have not decoded it. There is so much in our Vedic literature, including the Vedas themselves, so much over there that these are all metaphoric content. Nobody can take the Vedas and do a word-for-word -word translation and hope to get meaning out of it. Not going to happen. There's a lot to be decoded in the Vedas. Precisely. Precisely. Okay. It's got to be interpreted. And the question is, what is it? What is it encoding? What is it information encoded over there? We have no idea. Some of it. So, but I believe an event of this magnitude would have been remembered through uh, time, and maybe somewhere an echo of it would be there. Okay. okay. So we've almost reached the end of this conversation, sir. Good. Good. Um, you know what I will definitely say is that I adore talking to archaeologists as well, but for different reasons. Mm. As I said at the start of the episode. Often I feel like professions and professional guidelines mm. make you think within a certain boundary, which is right. important for that craft. Right. Uh, because archaeologists, the job that they do is they go into the field with an right. open mindset. Right. They'll search for evidence first and foremost. Right. So the methodology is important. Yeah. What kind of methodology they follow? They got to follow the prescriptions in that field. Right. So the conversations right. I end up having with them mm. are very different. Mm. Sometimes mm. it's about the texture of the things that they find. Right. It's about how far we've dug into the earth. Mm -hmm. The only issue with that is that it limits room for conversations about thought 
experiments hmm. Hmm. so many of the conversations we've had today hmm. i won't say are exactly thought experiments but hmm. it's a more expansive thought right. based on ancient scripture perhaps my last question on this entire hmm. show for you would be another thought experiment mm-hmm. related to the younger dry's impact theory mm. okay mm. now that was supposedly a very important cataclysmic event right. in the history Absolutely. of yes. the earth yes i remember joe rogan and randall carlson both saying that even that reduced the human population heavily mm. it was mm. almost like a reboot of mm. civilization mm. Mm. So mm. let's place ourselves in a situation where a meteor is about to hit the earth. Mm. Right now we have cameras, we have mics. Right. We have electricity, we have the right. internet. Right. People take the right. internet right. for granted. The internet is a series of wires under the Absolutely. earth. Absolutely, yes. Even that's going to get wrecked because right. of a meteor hitting right. the earth. Right. right. Our technology is going to get wrecked. Right. Lots of people that we know around us are going to die. Right. The human population will be reduced. Mhm. It'll be apocalyptic. There will be a nuclear winter. Mhm. it'll be exactly like those apocalyptic movies that you see right and when you have kids say you mm. survive mm. you'll have to learn survival skills true. in the same way that bear grills does on his true. show etc true you'll begin from a bit mm. a mm. little bit mm. of a hunter gatherer mm. mindset mm. that's what your mm. life will become if there's truly an apocalyptic event right right now we know for a fact that the apocalyptic event happened in 10000 bc roughly mm. around that time frame yeah uh the effects of it were there for a while after that mm. we had to restart mm. civilization mm. that is my theory against the archaeologists that claim mm. that because the indus valley civilization was not that advanced mm. okay that's what the theory is mm. that the kind of art that we mm. see mm. the kind of architecture mm. that we see mm. um mm. they weren't capable of the televisions that we hear about in the right. mahabharat the right. aeroplanes right. that we hear about in the ramayana right right that's the theory mm. that mm. we have proof mm. about the mm. industrial civilization mm. Mm. my angle on this is that even if technology advanced a lot before 10000 bc mm. it was all crushed to nothing because mm. of the right. younger dryas impact right. right and then we had to restart from there mm. and what we see in the indus valley civilization is 8000 years roughly post the younger dryas impact mm. Mm. uh so we had to rebuild that's mm. why yes you know i know the indus valley civilization had that whole drainage system right. it had governance right. and all right. that and right. there's still right. so much we don't understand right. about right. it right but it was a reboot of indian civilization mm. we are taught mm. that it was the beginning of the indian civilization right right uh do you have anything to say about absolutely so many thoughts some are speculative some we have uh, evidence or we have um, uh, informed opinions on some things for example remember i told you about the carrington event 1856 or so such a big solar flare is known to have hit the earth they say if that magnitude flare hit the earth today life would ex- stop existing the way you understand it for at least 2 years it says every telephone line every sorry every power line would be gone transformers would have exploded and so you'd have no electricity anywhere in the world and all your satellites would be gone all your communication would be gone all your beautiful internet streaming netflix everything gone and you wouldn't have this it'll take the earth 2 years to recover that's the amount of time it'll take to ramp up the factories again get the transformers again repair power all over the world so you can imagine that kind of apocalypse is not only because of meteor 
the sun can easily do it to you mm. <laughs> easily do we it we can't predict that right we can't we can't predict that this happened we know this big event happened in 1800s it could happen any time any time could have a huge solar flare and modern technological life as we understand it today would would have gone with that as that in mind i often tell people think about this western europe was a backward primitive place for a long time after they adopted christianity in constantine christianity 330 current era they chucked out all the greek knowledge greek philosophy which was all india looking right vedanta looking they chucked them out as pagans and they became a theocracy a church theocracy where they had a orthodoxy over there feudal kind of government you're not allowed to think right you had to be a, sh- a sheep follow the shepherd kind of a thing they had this going till 1500 1500 they have if you see my talks you'll understand how they ramped up on knowledge from india and all those kind of things and they were primed for the so called renaissance right they're primed for that and the so called age of uh, rationalism and things like that when they started learning things from indian knowledge i often tell people as a thought experiment these guys who didn't even have place value uh, addition subtraction multiplication they learned only 1550 from india from the time of newton in 1600 till today they managed to go from nothing to sending a spaceship to jupiter to mars and other such places so it is 600 years that is all it took from zero to understanding bernoulli's principle of lift to building wright brothers aircraft to building these huge rockets that can have enough impulse to take you out to outer space and things like that 600 years i ask the question often how many 600 year cycles do we have in the past mm <laughs> where maybe not pervasively like we know today but maybe in some aspect of technology where you went to great heights and lost it all of course the rational thinking person ask where are the artifacts i want to find a fossil i want to find a remain and intriguingly time to time we find these things one of them is the antikythera The Antikythera was a mechanism found in uh, early 1900s off the seas in Greece, Mediterranean Sea. They found it intricate hearing mechanism. We know that because we can X-ray this and find out intricate mechanism that seems to be some kind of a celestial clock. It shouldn't belong to that period. That kind of mechanism and that kind of computation should not belong to that period of time. But it is there. So, like this, time to time we find something says, "Whoa, what is this?" for example the so called agastya battery where uh, 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 descriptions are given on how we can make uh, electrolyte and have some kind of uh, insulator and there's a potential difference and you can make a current out of that doesn't belong to the period if we believe in linear growth of science but it is there so i often ask it question how many 600 period cycles do we have going back 10000 years 20000 years yeah very possible yeah so i i'm open to this i'm not close my mind to this i think one of the things i would like to teach my own children mm. about history mm. is about the impact of nature on history mm-hmm. this is one thing i've learned as a very macro lesson on the show mm. we've had an archaeologist dr prabhakar who's actually explored the pyramids as well but mm. even mm. inside the pyramids they had found a battery and he had wow. spoken about yes, it yes, on yes. the show yes yes i've heard about this yes mm. so mm. and this is a qualified archaeologist uh speaking mm. you know my point is that even the ancient egyptians didn't believe that they were the ancient egyptians they felt they were the modern egyptians and the ancient egyptian culture was mm-hmm. from almost a lakh years mm-hmm. ago mm-hmm. 
this is the kind of history i'd want to tell my children about not just the history that we read in mm. our mm. history textbooks right and with that sir that's the episode for today it's wonderful it's been excellent discussion and ranveer thank you for inviting no. me it's been a pleasure talking all these subjects pleasure today. speaking to you sir i want the indian narrative on this i hate calling it alternative history because it's not it's not deep history deep history that's the word deep history uh, it's not prehistory it's not proto history it is deep history we're talking 100%. about uh history that's studied with more of an open mind right uh, of course there's room for error even in our conversations right. we're doing many thought experiments in right. our conversations but this is the exact kind of conversation that leads to archaeological findings you have Absolutely. to be suggestive right. at least while you're talking about it's it's what could have been it's like i say if you break these chains of 1500 bc aryan invasion and throw them away the shackles are out of your mind then this is what i meant so many things are there in the indian context we can reconcile them without any problem to the ancient past like for example we talked about science 8000 bc 9000 bc well we got carbon dating from saraswati sindhu civilization birana the oldest dates are 9000 years before present yeah. happy reconciliation of uh, astronomy and radiocarbon dating well anyway it's been a pleasure talking all these things with you ranveer rajvedam <laughs> sir love how much of a deepest nerd you are just like myself <laughs> it's just two nerdy engineering grads absolutely breaking down some deep history nerds nerds that's who we are yeah that's <laughs> the key to life and happiness and love sometimes i don't know why i said that <laughs> thank you for being on the show sir appreciate you. you appreciate your time thank, thank you, you. That was the episode for today and this is exactly the kind of conversation I crave both in life and on TRS. We're always looking for guest recommendations from you guys. I know how much you'll enjoy these historical and cultural conversations. Tell me what you thought about this conversation as well and please do send in some epic guest recommendations. TRS will be back soon. Two episodes are releasing every week and the knowledge download, ladies and gentlemen, has only just begun. We'll see you very, very soon. Thank you.